Okay, tonight, as we kind of wrap up the first half of 2 Kings, before we come back to it in January, we're going to be looking at chapter 13, and we are reading of the king Joash. He's the king in the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember, Israel's a divided kingdom at this time. And this got a little complicated and a little sticky on Tuesday night because there's two Jehoashes, and they're both in reigning around the same time. And not only is it Jehoash, but it's also spelled Joash for both of them. All right, so it's that king. And as we come to the text tonight, Elisha is going to come back into our narrative. And as he comes before Jehoash, this is now the fourth king that's reigned in the north during the time of Elisha's ministry. He's seen four kings, and we've seen God use him powerfully, certainly in the life of Jehoram, an earlier king of the northern kingdom. And now we get this amazing story that we're going to read tonight with him and Jehoash, this king in the north. So we have a person that has faithfully fulfilled his calling in life, coming before the king, and the king coming to him. So Elisha's going to be sick and dying. We'll get there in just a second. But he, yet again, he's going to stand before another king. And we have two, we have two things colliding, uh, worldly power and eternal power. A person who's dying and stepping into eternity and a person who has a great opportunity in front of them. A person who's fulfilled that call in their life and a person whose call is still in front of them. And that's our backdrop to the story tonight. We pick it up in verse 14 of chapter 13. Elijah had become sick with the illness with which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hand on the king's hand. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrow. So he took them, take the arrows, and so he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck the ground three times and stopped. And the man of God, that is Elisha, was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then if you would have struck Syria till you destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. In the passages after this, we read of Elisha's death, that he did actually die. And then we also read the fact is that Jehoash did indeed have three victories against Syria after these events took place. It's an interesting story, and as I mentioned in the intro, that Elisha is a man at the end of his life who has lived a good life. He has served the Lord faithfully, miraculously. Whereas Jehoash is just another one of those kings in the north, like all the other ones, where opportunities have been presented to him to, to be used of the Lord, to do great things for the Lord, and his opportunities in front of him. That's how it always is in the human experience, right? Like at any gathering during the holidays, you know, this coming week or whatever, in a, in a room full of people, there are people that are near the end of their journey that have either fulfilled their journey or wasted it. And there are people that are younger on the front end of their journeys or in the middle of their life with opportunity in front of them, maybe yet to be fulfilled or starting to be fulfilled. It's always generations in motion. And so that's what we have here. These these two men who are so powerful in different ways in different kingdoms, and they're looking at each other and they have this divine appointment, which really is an opportunity. 
This is a divine opportunity for Jehoash to seize the moment. And before we really get into him and his opportunities and our opportunities, we want to be reminded that those kings in the north of Israel, there was about 20 of them, none of them ever really walked in the ways of the Lord for a couple hundred years period. Not one. And we almost take for granted that that's just sort of their destiny. You know, the northern kings, none of them ever walked with the Lord. They always did evil, not one did good. Whereas the southern kings in Judea would say, oh, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not like David. Or he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, like David. So when we look at the southern kings, we get some good ones that actually did really good. And of course, it says of a few, they did evil as well. But you never get that with a northern king. So we almost accept in hindsight that that's just, that was just their lot in life. But it's, it's not really true. It's the lot they chose. There's not one king in the northern kingdom that was evil that didn't choose to be evil. And in most of these cases, we've seen with these kings, even Ahab, God gave them opportunities to not be evil. He gave them opportunity to be good, to repent, to make good decisions and do good things. He gave them those opportunities. So as we look at the life of this king and what was offered him, we don't want to just say, well, he's a loser because they're all losers. We want to look and say, that you know, he had opportunity. And this, this text we just read is really about opportunity that was lost opportunity for him or moderately fulfilled to the benefit of the people of the northern kingdom but really it's lost opportunity and that's what we're going to learn from compared to Elisha's life as well but what an offer Jehoash was a king of Israel when Israel was under a covenant with the Lord what he's offered in this text with this arrow of the Lord's deliverance and all this with the divine appointment with Elisha is really in a sense to apprehend his destiny with the Lord so when I look at Jehoaz right here, I just think how he has opportunity and divine purpose in his life. He's the king of Israel. He's got this great opportunity to be the king. The king of Israel. He's got a chance to break the cycle of bad kings and be a good king. Now, Elisha, his life had divine purpose, and he's come to the end of it. So again, it's like these, these two human beings who shared the planet, and on this day came together, and as one man has fulfilled his ministry and his divine purpose, and really Elisha did, he's looking at another man who still has it in front of him. And as that man came to him and wept over him and brought about spiritual conversations and eternal conversations, the chariots of fire, the chariots of fire, my father, my father. See, Jehoash was speaking about that event in Elisha's life with the previous king where they're surrounded by the Syrians and it looked like the end for Elijah and his servant. And then Elisha said to his servant, there's more of us than them. And he said to, his serv- to the Lord, please open my servant's eyes. And then the servant was able to see the chariots of fire that surrounded them that were protecting them and watching over them like the angelic host. And of course, it was Elisha who saw Elijah caught up in the chariot of fire earlier on in his life that we read about earlier on in 2 Kings as well. So Elisha is a spiritual man, kind of like Billy Graham back in the day with the presidents, that you associate spiritual things with. He's a spiritual man. He sees spiritually. He's, he's thinking eternally. He's that guy. And here's the earthly man, Joash, who's powerful. He's the king. And he's earthly. And he doesn't think spiritual. But he does recognize that this is a spiritual man. So it's a spiritual man who's dying with the physical man who's living. One man's completed his journey, and the other man is still in it. And both have divine purpose. 
Both had opportunity. Elisha fulfilled his. Joash is right in front of him. So it really is about an opportunity for the spiritual. It's about an opportunity to get after the eternal, which goes together. And it really is about Jehoash's divine destiny. Who'd have been more de- who could have been more destined for great things with the Lord than a king of Israel when Israel's under covenant? I mean, you'd think if, if you're, ladies, if you're a queen of Israel in the northern kingdom, not Jezebel, of course, a different kind of queen. But if you're like a good queen, or if you're a good king, men, and we're in Israel, this is how I think, but I wake up and go like, I'm linked to David, the heart for the Lord. I'm linked to these songs he wrote. I'm linked to Solomon, his son, and the wisdom that he gave. Like, I would look at these songs of worship, because I do as a believer in Christ, and these words of truth, and I'd say, these are for me. These are to govern and guide my life, to have a heart for the Lord, and to have the wisdom of the Lord, and to serve the Lord. We would be in that, 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 you know, that, that heritage. Because God, God split the kingdoms, the northern and the south. And when Jeroboam became the first king of the north, the Lord said to him, I'll give you every opportunity I ever gave David. We saw that. So he had the opportunities. So this is his opportunity. Now we're finishing a year right now. 2022. Remember when we started together in January? Some of you were here. This is another year, right? Like I said, it's like the Catalina Cruiser when you're coming back from Catalina. We're, we're already past Pirate's Cove. We're in the harbor. We're moving, you know, we're passing the seals by the buoy. That's, that's what we got going here. We're, we're, we're finishing up. More importantly, apart from sealing the fruit of a previous year, we have the opportunity in front of us of a new year. So if we think about divine destiny for things fulfilled like Elisha, we think of divine opportunity for people like us in front of us. You see, there's things fulfilled, and that's that. And there's no coming back. And there's opportunities in front, and that's that. And that's what we want to get after. So we think about this, this divine destiny and these opportunities of eternity. The first thing we see as we break it down, really jump into a couple points, is understanding and recognizing the opportunity of the moment. Because in this text, as these two men with their different places in the human experience come together, the spiritual and the, te- the, spiritual and the carnal, the temporal and the eternal, as these two men, the power of the coming kingdom and the power of the temporal kingdom, as they come together in this moment where Jehoash is weeping over him and saying, my father, my father, you're the guy with the chariots of fire, Elisha looks at him and really presents him the opportunity to know and serve the Lord the same way. Because we don't want to live vicariously through someone else's faith in 2023. We want to live powerfully in our own faith in 2023. And really what you have here, as one man is passing, he's trying in his last record of events in his life, and there's lots of records of his event for us, lots of events recorded for us in his life in 2 Kings. Here he's trying to give this king the chance to find his faith, exercise his faith, and fulfill his purposes and destiny of his life. One man sees eternity, he's going there, and he's looking at the other man and presenting him an opportunity, but uh, uh, Jehoash has to recognize it. And this, this gets my attention. Because when you're visiting the dying prophet, and he tells you, take a bow, take an arrow, open the window to the east, put your hand on the bow, let me help you put the hand on your bow, shoot the arrow through the window. Now, this is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. Like, 
you know, this is not your normal day for a king. These are not normal events. When the, most, when the prophet with the most miracles associated with him in the Old Testament tells you on his deathbed and looks at you and says, grab a bow, grab an arrow, open the east window, and shoot that arrow through it, you got to understand, this is, this, is, this is about opportunity. This is about your life. This is not a, a, your regular day. This is not that, you know, this is not a normal day. It's a different kind of day. And it's really about understanding and recognizing opportunity. You know, I pray every day, and I remind myself every day to exercise self-control, to be patient, to be understanding, to be discerning, and think. Dot, 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 think. Self-control, patience, understanding, discerning, dot, 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 and think every day. Because every day there's opportunities where God is working in the lives of people who love him and serve him or being called by him. And I don't want to miss those opportunities. We get busy, we get distracted, and we, don't, we miss those opportunities. We want to be alert and sharp to grasp opportunities that the Lord is bringing to us in the, in the moment, in the day, in our life in general. And we need to recognize those things. How many people walked through 2022 listening to news from either direction, upset about everything going on around them, and missed everything, if not almost everything, that the Lord had for them this year? You can get so worked up over things that are just distractions that you, you're not alert, you're not discerning, you're not focused on what God is doing. You're so upset about what God's not doing that you miss what God is doing. I remind myself of that. I didn't start the year this way, but as I've come through these last three years with all of you that have changed our world and changed our lives, I've determined, you know what? Self-control, patience, understanding, discernment, and think. Now, my wife will tell you I've not arrived with all that. And Sam can tell you I haven't. And those who know me haven't. But I can tell you it's a better version in December than it was in January. And that's what I can hope for is to get better each day with the things God is doing in my life and be a better version of Christ working in my life in December than I was in January of 2022. That's an obtainable goal for all of us in this room who call on Christ as Lord and Savior. See... This was no normal day for Jehoash. And I don't know what he expected to see when he went to go see someone dying. And maybe you think for a minute, some of you have gone to see someone when they're dying. Some of you have gone to see someone in the hospital and they're dying. Or in assisted living, you know they're dying. It is a very unique situation. You're never really prepared for what to say in that situation. But you, you walk into it and like, you do your best. My first sponsor, Midget Smith, when he died of cancer, I went to go visit him in San Clemente. I didn't really know what to say. It was very, I was a believer at the time. I was a pastor. It was just like 10, 12 years ago. But it just seems so like, what do you even say? Like, I don't even know what to say because I'm not really here as a pastor. I'm here as the kid that he sponsored and believed in. And like, you say goodbye. I'm like, I love you, Midget. Like, that was his nickname, just Jeff Smith. But Midget Smith, I, he was just so... And when John, who many of you loved and knew, went to be at the Lord about... It was actually in 2021, the tail end. When I went to Kaiser Anaheim during the heart of COVID, I, I got up there and up on the ninth floor, wherever it was he was, that floor, and, and I 
prayed with them and I read scripture to them. I had my phone playing worship songs and I kissed them on the forehead and I said, I'll see you there. I'll see you in eternity. And John, like he always did, gave me the thumbs up. You know, like back in the 70s when people got on the plane and you could be at the gate when they're leaving and they turn around and you're like, you can't do that anymore. You do it like at the airport, but we used to do it like you used to be at the gate. This is what's happening here. Elijah's catching his flight and Jehoash's gone to the airport, if you will, to say goodbye to him. And, all, and the whole, whatever Jehoash expected to have happen on the day, it all gets switched. Or something unexpected happened with the bow, the arrow, and the, Wait, 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 wait. But you see, when those things happen for us on a day, in a moment, in our life, in a season, we want to grasp the magnitude of it. You can even compare it to like how many people left the state in the last three years, right? How many people moved? People grasp the magnitude like, whoa, this is massive global migration in the last three years and massive migration in our country in the last three years as well for various reasons, state laws, local laws, economies, housing markets, and People, they just, man, it was crazy, right? There's, there's these opportunities and this divine purpose and calling that comes upon people's lives. And God would be speaking to us and presenting to us. We don't want to miss it. We want to grasp it. And with Joash, he needed to grasp it. And while I might say every day has meaning and purpose, some days have a little bit more meaning and purpose because the opportunities presented to us are very unique and time-sensitive. On this day, God decreed, the God of the universe, that what was being presented to Joash when he went to visit Elisha was so unique he would never see this opportunity again. And how he responded in this one hour of time would determine the future of his life and the legacy of his being a king in his monarchy. Isn't that amazing? This is a very profound moment. We need to understand and recognize that something special is happening We need to be discerning, and we need to think, and we need to be alert. So many people just stumble through their day with no proactive vision or direction on the day, no intention, no purpose. That is no way to live with Jesus Christ. The way to live with Jesus Christ is to seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and know he's got all this stuff, and to let him guide our steps. A man or a woman plans our ways, but the Lord directs our steps, and we want to be spirit-led in all things. And if you know what that looks like, you just reread the book of Acts during Christmas break. Because in the book of Acts, they're spirit-led. They seek the Lord, and the Lord guides them. And that's how we're to live. And if we're living that way, we're going to be alert, we're going to be discerning, and we're going to grasp these profound moments when the prophet says, bow, arrow, window, all of it, and we're going to get it. So I think the first application that really comes from this to remind us in this text is to be spiritually minded and to grasp that something Special, something powerful, something eternal, something spiritual is happening. Whether it's the moment, whether it's a day or a season, but to grasp it, to see it, and be proactive toward it. I find this phrase that they open the east window, this got my attention the more I thought about it going over this text since Tuesday. It is an open window, but we know that Jesus said to in Revelation to uh, the Church of Philadelphia, I open a door before you that no man can close, and I close a door that no man can open. That's very comforting, isn't it? That if we're his disciples, he'll close the doors we shouldn't go through, and we invite him to do that. But when he opens the door that we're supposed to go through, he opens it, and no one closes it. 
I mean, just think for a moment when, when they opened the window here and, and Josh is like going, okay, and Elias, no, that's how you hold it. You hold it like this because he put his hand on him. That window was open. When, when, when Josh was looking through that window, it's like that, that's a whole new world out there for you, Joash. That's a whole new future for you when you open that east window. It's a whole new opportunity. In fact, what I'm saying to you right now is your purpose in life and your destiny. This is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and you must strike. But did he get it? Paul the Apostle, in the final chapter in writing the Corinthian church, he said that the Lord has opened a great and effective door for me, yet there are many adversaries. But he recognized that God had opened a great and effective door for him of great opportunity. So I can't help but think of passages like Revelation 3 with the Church of Philadelphia and 1 Corinthians 16 when I see this because this is a window of opportunity. Really, it's like a whole new horizon. It's just a whole other, it's just, it's, it's all, it's, it's your opportunity. This is why you're alive. This, if whoever, you know, like, because there's different kings and people in the Bible, you know, like, what was their purpose in life? Was there something they're called to do? The Lord tells him through Elisha, this is your moment. We need to understand and recognize when the door is open, the window is open, and the great opportunity has been presented to us. It's something special. It's spiritual. It's eternal. It's eternal. It's part of our destiny. It's part of our purpose in life. And we need to, we need to, we need to understand it. When Jesus was walking amongst Israel, he said to the religious leaders, you can discern the, the sky and the, what's going on in the weather, but you can't, deter, you can't discern the spiritual times that you live in that the Lord is there, right there, God himself. Jesus said, you search the scriptures, and in them you think you have life, but they're that which declare me to you. They have the scriptures, and they don't even see he's the one that's fulfilling it. They could read the, the, the weather pattern in the morning and say, oh, it's going to rain tonight, or it's going to be Santa Ana you know, tomorrow, but they couldn't discern what was going on spiritually. So this first key thing is to really recognize and understand when a spiritual opportunity is presented to us, and it's this is a bigger one, but it's just to be alert and recognize it. The second thing we see, that was verses 15 through 17, is to respond with passion to those opportunities that God gives us. In verse 18, Elisha, if you read this text, you could put in, write down how many times, Elijah's doing all the talking, by the way. Elijah said this, Elisha said that, Elijah said, it's like bang, 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 bang. And here he says, take the arrows. So he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So, so far it's all coming from the Lord toward him. Take the arrows, strike the ground. And so this is, okay, so this is the opportunity. Understand what's going on. It's the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. Now take the arrows and strike the ground. It's the, it's the opportunity, but what are you going to bring to it? And again, going back to the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ, there in Revelation chapter 3, the last church, the church of Laodicea, Jesus said, I wish that you were hot or cold, but not lukewarm. And what we want to be is passionate. Now, how we show passion and enthusiasm or fire for the things of God can be different with different people. Some people are very calm. You're like, are you excited? Oh, I'm very excited. Are you fired? Like, oh, yeah, I'm fired up. You don't ever need to wonder if I'm fired up, right? I'm easy to read that I'm fired up. 
I'm like, I'm like the football guys, in the, you know, in the USC hall before they come out in the stadium at Coliseum. We're just like, you know, you know, fight on. Like, I'm that kind of guy. But there's people that don't, they don't outwardly show that type of passion, enthusiasm, but they are very passionate about what they do because we're all completely different. And we have different types of personalities. However we express our excitement, enthusiasm, and passion, we definitely want to express it in our heart before the Lord for the opportunities it presents to us. And here, this is where Joash really misses the mark because not really sure what he's thinking about spiritual things when he goes to Elisha and he cries over him and says, oh, the chariots of fire and this and that. But what's happening here is he's offered the chariots of fire. It's like he's got a lottery ticket. It's like he's holding the keys to the kingdom. It's like he's got the arrow in his hand. He's got the arrow in his hand. And Elisha's like, look at me, eyes on me, listen. This is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. It's like, you've got an American Express credit card with an open account. Everything you could want to do to set your future in order right now is in your hands. You are the king of Israel. Syria is afflicting you. Ben-Hadad, Haziel, and then Ben-Hadad. You control the keys of the kingdom. You, with this arrow, can determine your fate, your future for you, your people, and your calling right now. It's in your hands. All that you need right now to bless your generation, to bless your wife, your children, your children's children, the kingdom you lead, your business, your wealth, your millions that you, the land you run, the land you own, the cities you've lost, to restore them, to get them back, all this stuff, all the wrong that's happened before you with all the previous kings of the northern kingdom right now, this arrow in your hand, look at me, this arrow is in your hand. And what you choose to do this with this arrow will determine the fate and destiny of an entire generation of people. This is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. What are you going to do with it? It's kind of like Christmas. This is the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary. All things are made by him and for him, and in him all things consist. Nothing's made that's not made without him or made for him. What's the world going to do with God in the manger this December in 2022? It's like Great glory to Harvest Crusade. Some people are so moved and so touched. They're like, I see the arrow, I see the arrow. And they're running forward and they're grabbing that arrow and they say, I want everything God has for me. And they're, they're turning from their sins and responding to Christ with, with everything they have. And other people are like, huh? And like, oh, there's a traffic jam. I'm trying to get out of here. I could have told you there'd be a traffic jam at the big A. Right? Like, This is why a very interesting phrase pops up in the Sermon on the Mount, do not cast your pearls before swine. Some people could care less about the error of the Lord's deliverance. Some people don't care to fulfill the call of God on their life. Some people don't see their beauty as being for the Lord. Some people don't see their wits as being for the Lord, their intelligence, their musical gifts, their talents, or whatever they've been given, because everyone has at least something that God's given them in their purpose of life. And so many people just throw it away. Just throw it away to a life of bondage in rebellion to the Lord and in bondage to the flesh, the devil, sin, and the grave. Ultimately, the cross really is the arrow of the Lord for all of us because every good thing and beautiful thing God's going to do in our life in 2023 is going to overflow from the cross and our salvation according to grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Tongues of fire is the arrow of the Lord in our life. To have the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through and upon our life for what he wants to do in 2023. 
going forward in the new year. Those, those things that just seem so impossible with man are possible with God, and they're possible through the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. But we need to esteem and value with passion those things that God has for us. I never cease to be amazed how indifferent most people are to the call of God on their life that they just throw away and they only get one. The advantage of being 60 is you can look back at all the people whose lives were called and see the ones who responded with the good fruit. And you can also see the ones who walked away and missed it all. And now they look as old as you look and they're no closer to the Lord and fulfilling his calling than they were 30 years ago when they walked away from the Lord. We need to respond with passion. We need to recognize the great opportunities that the Lord's presenting to us, the open windows, the open doors, and and, and not be indifferent or desensitized to it, but to be alert and discerning and respond with passion to the opportunity to strike the ground with the arrow of the Lord, to do so with passion, fire, determination, fearlessness, and courage. To to, To understand the moment and just get after it all completely. See, Elijah's the perfect person to tell an indifferent king that he needs to bring fire to the game. Think about Elisha. Remember when Elijah, not Elisha, but Elijah, walked by Elisha, he threw his coat on him. That's all he did. There's no record of words being spoken. And we talk about this, you know, Elisha's out there plowing the field. He's got the ox and he's got the plow and he's plowing the field. And all of a sudden, it's Elijah the prophet, the greatest prophet of all time. He walks by you and he's like, hey, he throws his coat on you and it lands and you're like, that means you're to be with me. It's like Jesus walking right by Matthew the tax collector. Hey, follow me. Follow me. That's what it's like. Like Zacchaeus in the tree. All oh, the commotion, little man up there, the little tax collector got everyone's money. He's got a great gig going financially. Jesus stops. Hey, Zacchaeus, come to your house today. That's, that's what it's like when Elisha shows up and tells you to grab the arrow and it's the Lord's deliverance. Because Elisha had had the same moment in his life decades prior. Decades prior. Same type of moment. Like the east window open, like the window open facing the east, same type of moment when the prophet came to him and basically said, follow me. Here's your divine purpose. Here's your opportunity. Here's what your life is all about. Follow me. Threw the coat on him. But what Elisha did, he, see, in this story, the last thing he says is, you, you should have struck, he was mad. Guy's dying. He's like, he's on his deathbed and you made him mad. Duh. Like, he's like, you should have hit the ground Five or six times. Well, by what authority do you say that? By the authority that when Elisha walked by me and threw his coat on me, I, I sacrificed the bulls and I built an altar with the, the plow. And I had that moment when I had this day, Jehoash, when I had this day, Jehoash, and this day came to my life decades ago, I'll tell you what I did. I recognized it and I responded with passion all in. I cut up my plow I sacrificed the oxen and I said goodbye to everyone in my neighborhood and I followed Elisha the prophet. Which set him up for a brilliant life, didn't it? 
Because when Elisha's going, Elisha's about to go into eternity, here's another man going into eternity. He says, hey, Elisha, what do you want? He goes, I want a double portion. Well, what you ask is hard. Because there's never been a prophet like me in human history. And you're asking for double me? He's like, yeah, I am, as a matter of fact. See, that's the guy whose head's on a swivel. He's alert. He's alert. See, when Elijah said to Elisha, I'm going, what do you want? He knew what he wanted right away. He was alert. He was tuned in. He was focused. He was discerning. He says, I want a double portion. We had a whole topical on this just a few weeks ago. I want double what you got. You give, you give him the American Express MasterCard type of card with the Lord, he's like, he's racking it up. Joash is like, no, I'll take uh, this. Really? Like, this is unlimited. This is an open, ed- this is an open credit line for you with the Lord. This arrow of the Lord is open credit line. All, everything you want to get from the Lord, it's right here for you now. And you strike the ground three times. Hey, when Elisha was given the opportunity, he's like, give me double of anything we've ever seen in human experience. So he was ready, and he responded passionately. So that's why he's so passionate now in frustration and anger with Jehoash for his response. He's like, oh, God, come on. Like, it was there. I mean, it was there. When the Lord gives us new opportunities in 2023, and he's going to, we want to be understanding and discerning and recognize those opportunities, and we want to respond with passion to those opportunities. Whether you're running on the field or trotting on the field or whatever it is the Lord has for you, you want to bring passion, fire, and fearlessness and courage to those doors and opportunities. And Break down the plow, sacrifice the bull, ask for the double portion, seize the opportunity, grab that card right out of the king's hands and start racking it up with everything he's got for you. Because someday there'll be a memorial for you in here or somewhere else. And life is not meant to be a tie. Life is meant to be lived in total passion, focus, purpose, and victory through the blood and the life, the legacy of Jesus Christ the promises, and the power of the Holy Spirit upon our life. Joash missed it. We've already missed enough. We need to recognize and respond with passion. There'll be opportunities in 2023 we're going to realize, is this the arrow of the Lord in my hand? And if you even think for a moment it is, start hammering away. Start striking, striking, striking. Like, and if you, don't, you don't, if you don't know where it is, I'll, start, I'll tell you right now. Grab our missionary prayer card. And if you can't put a face with these names, just start praying through these every day. You want your life to count? Wake up every day and change time and eternity. Because if you will pray for these missionaries, I guarantee you, you are doing something effective today for all eternity and your eternal fruit. Because it's a spiritual battle. And we can give our finances and we can write encouraging words or speak encouraging words. But when we wake up, and we pull these names out, and we stand before the living God, and we stand in the gap, like it, like it says in Ezekiel, I look for someone to stand in the gap, and we stand in the gap, we are taking the arrow of the Lord, and we're just going, wham, wham, wham. In the last, latter half of this year, I just determined, before I face the world, I have purpose to pray for missionaries every single morning before I go out in the world. I am believing and releasing kingdom power in the realm of the Spirit. I've wasted enough days of my life where I did nothing spiritual or eternal. 
And if I do nothing else every day because I'm giving up another day of my life, the most valuable thing I have, I am making sure that I'm putting some kind of deposit for time and eternity for the spiritual things in praying for missionaries every single day. I think it's a worthwhile investment, don't you? I really do. I'm excited about it. And then you know what happens, of course, when you pray for them, you get a heart for them, you begin to see them the way the Lord does. And he's like, well, why don't you pray for these people too? Recognize, respond with passion. More of the kingdom. Show the Lord we care. Grab the arrow and just start pounding the ground, which brings us to our final thought tonight. The last verse is, it says he struck it three times, but then in, the, in verse 18, but 18 it says, he, the man of God was angry and said, you should have struck five or six times. Boy, I just hate you should have done something. And then you would have struck Syria till you destroyed it. So you should have done this, and then this would have happened. Should have and would have is like, it's just the worst, isn't it? Ah, I mean, here's the dying prophet looking at you when you had your moment. Put the ball of life in your hands. Put the arrow in your hands and, he, and says, you did what you did. You might have felt good about it. Hey, like, you know, okay. One, two, three. It's like, you should have and you would have. You, you came short. You left the glass half empty when the Lord wanted to fill the water pots. You, you came up short. There's another one of these in the New Testament that's actually more sobering than this one. And it's in Matthew 25 in the parable of the Minas, which is a teaching on standing before the Lord in eternity, where the two got four, and he's rewarded, well done, good and faithful servant. The one got five, and he got five, and he got ten, well done, good and faithful servant. But the one who had one and buried it got nothing. And in that parable, the master says, you ought to have, you ought to have put the money with the bank so at least got interest on my return. Now, that parable is an earthly parable, so it could be like your boss saying, you ought to just to put it, I mean, you, you put the money in your mattress and it lost 20% of its value. You could have at least gotten a 2.5% interest return with American Express savings account. You ought to have done that. That's like what he's saying. But like I said last week, it's never about the money, it's about the heart, it's about stewardship and eternal things. And in that passage of Matthew 25, verses 13 through 30, it's, dealing, it's teaching us about eternity and standing before the Lord. So that parable fully understood, because a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That parable tells us, standing before Christ, no one wants to hear, you ought to have done this. And he says it to the person who was given something by the Lord and did absolutely nothing with it. And then he takes that one from that one and gives it to the one who had five, who, that made ten. What are you saying, Pastor Joy? I'm saying I don't want to stand in eternity and have the Lord tell me I ought to have done anything. Especially if at this point in my life. I already know I had done a lot of things before I was 61, and so do you. I got, I got plenty of should-haves and would-haves in my life. And in my heart before the Lord, like you in your heart before the Lord, do you know how many times you made a bad decision that cost you a couple of years of your life? If you get to 61, even if you're strong with the Lord, you made bad decisions that cost you a lot. And maybe only you and the Lord know, and that's maybe how it's meant to be. I don't want to know your story, and I definitely want to tell you those parts of mine. But sufficient to say an honest woman or honest man, when they look in the mirror at 61, can see plenty of should have and would have. What I'm trying to fix before 
time in eternity is not have to hear the Lord say you ought to have. Because that's still in front of me. And I don't have to accept any should have been would have for tomorrow. Nor do you. There's a sobering element to this story of Elisha with Jehoash. With that phrase, you should have done this or you should have done that. And it reminds us of the most basic truth. He said, you should have struck six, five or six. You, if you would have struck five or six, it's what you would have got. But now you will strike Syria only three times. In the measure you use, it will come back to you, which is exactly what Jesus says time and time again. We've covered sowing and reaping and the universal law of sowing and reaping, which is absolutely over the entire universe. And almost all world religions agree that as a man sows, so shall he reap. Almost all human philosophies agree that if you do good, you'll get good. This is a, a, a universal truth in the very nature of God and how the cosmos works in this universe. We get to live it fully through Christ, through faith in Christ, and where we deserve bad reaping for bad sowing, the cross intervenes and delivers us from that, and Christ took that for us. So that's what separates the kingdom and the church from the world. Because world religions can talk about sowing and reaping, but there's no way to stop the bad sowing because (laughs) you're stuck in who you are. But see, if anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. All things have passed away. All things are new. So the bad sowing is forgiven through Christ on the cross dying for our sins. And by the power of the Spirit in us, Christ wills and works us in our life for his good pleasure. And now we're sowing good stuff and we're finding grace and mercy for the bad stuff. It's a beautiful thing to know. That's why it's amazing grace. And of course, no human philosophy or world religion has it. That's why Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through me. We stop the cycle. It stops. The cross, the power of the Holy Spirit, and good decisions of self-determination by disciples slows down the, the like Paul said, we have this glory in earthen vessels. So we're still, I've not yet arrived, but I, pre- I forget what behind is behind. I press on what lies, to, what lies ahead to help recall God in Christ Jesus. So we've not yet apprehended but it's way less of the bad sowing, and it's a lot more of the good sowing, and it's a way less of the bad reaping, and we try and put that under the blood, which we do through faith in Jesus, and now we're reaping the good stuff for time and eternity. There's, there's no room under the cross of Jesus Christ and under tongues of fire to have to live this life with I should have and I would have. There's no I should have and would have in Jesus' name. That's not what, the cross is total victory, and the tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost is total victory. None of us has to accept I should have and I would have. And we definitely don't have to accept you ought to have. We've got the breath of life, and we have the opportunities. So there is self-determination. And a final thought on this, thinking about being disciples of Jesus Christ, is a bonus thought with the three, three got three, and five or six should have been. But the beauty of the gospel of grace is Jesus shows us that God is the God of the second chance. For when Peter asked how many times I forgive someone, I can forgive him seven times, and the Lord says 70 by seven by 70, or seven by seven, or it was 490 times, yeah, 70 by seven. So he just gave him a number that you'd lose track of how many times you forgave somebody, like innumerable, like the angels, just a number, it's just, so if the Lord's telling us to forgive people an innumerable amount of times, and he equips us to do that, then we know that there's, he's the God of the second chance. 
And even just today, I finished my readings through the Gospel of John, and I was reminded of the God of the second chance. So we close with this thought. If we had the Apostle Peter in front of us, after Jesus was in the tomb, the three days between Good Friday and Easter, and he's going over the game film of that night where he denied the Lord three times, we could have all looked at him and said, you should have. You, you should have. You could have. Then you would have. And we could have all thrown Peter under the bus and really just written him off. But isn't it beautiful that when Jesus is raised up and resurrected there in Galilee, he looks at Peter and says, do you love me? And he asked Peter that question three times. Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus gave him the opportunity to tell him that he loved him three times. Where three failures of denial as, as a regression and a sinking into a pit went deeper and deeper on that long, dark, evil night. Jesus raised up his inner man, his soul, his person, and he let him three times say, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. You know I love you. And each of those three times he reminded him of his very purpose in life and destiny, not to be a great fisherman, a fish in the Sea of Galilee, but to feed my lambs, to feed my sheep, and to tend my flock. Where he had three failures, the Lord gave him three confessions to say that he loves the Lord. He reminded three times what his purpose in life was, and in so doing, encouraged him to go forward and fulfill his purpose. And that's exactly what he began to do on the day of Pentecost. And he never looked back. And that's a very encouraging word to me. So let's agree to put our should have, would have, and could have, and ought to have at the altar of the Lord tonight in Jesus' name, under the blood and under the tongues of fire. And there's no room on his team for should have, would have, could have. Just give it to the Lord, reload, go forward, grab that arrow, and just start hammering. If it's cement, just start hammering. But fulfill those opportunities while we have the breath of life. Because there'll be a, a Christmas service here sometime when we won't be here anymore. So make it count.